Yeah, thanks, Ben. I um, I didn't realize that you've been watching me and learning from me. And if any of you guys have been watching and learning from Ben, anything that he did that was stupid was not <laughs> was not for me. Um, all the good stuff was, but. Um, no, Ben's an amazing part of our church family. He and his wife, Kelsey. Uh, Ben's part of our worship team. And I've really enjoyed getting to know him. We've got to travel. We have a campus in New Hampshire. We've got to travel together and go up there and spend time together. And it's been really cool getting to know him over the past few years. But um, and so I was, I've been reading, studying um, a lot lately just in the Gospels and kind of preparing for Easter and, and this whole time of year. And and normally, you know, we could talk about like John the Beloved, how, you know, he knew that Jesus loved him and called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And that wasn't something that just John could have done, but he was the only one that had the revelation of how much the Lord loved him. And so when he talked about himself, he called himself the disciple Jesus loved. And what's amazing about that is that John was so sure that Jesus loved him and Peter was so sure that he loved Jesus. Remember, Peter said, I'll never let them do that to you. John never said, I'll never let them do that to you, but John understood Jesus loved him. And if you look at the end, the one who actually made it to the cross with him was the one who knew that Jesus loved him, not the one who was so sure of his love for Jesus. And I think it's important that we, that we do love him, but I think it's, it's even more important that we have a revelation of how much he loves us. Because on the days when we don't feel, having that understanding goes way beyond our feelings. When your feelings will lead you astray so fast. Like every one of us has been led astray by our feelings probably in the last week. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know what it's like. You watch a movie... And all of a sudden you're crying as Jack's saying goodbye to Rose and disappearing in the water. And you know it's fake. Like, that's the thing. You sat down to watch this movie, and before you watched the movie, you knew it was fake. You knew you weren't watching something that was really happening. You knew you weren't watching something that actually really happened in real life. You knew these were actors on a screen that were completely playing a part, and yet your emotions were so strong that you had a physical response to it, even though you knew it was fake. That's how quickly your emotions can lead you astray. Your feelings can lead you astray. Now imagine if what is being presented to you is being presented as truth. That's why we have to have an understanding and a belief and a knowing of Jesus that goes way beyond our feelings. Because if, we, if we're living based on our feelings, we're only doing as good as we feel like we're doing. And the next thing, you know, you're on this roller coaster where if I, if I feel like yesterday I was good, then, then today I feel worthy to come before him and pray and spend time in his presence. But, but if I wasn't, then maybe I don't deserve to and I'm in shame and I'm living by my feelings. And the truth is, is that if we live by faith, we understand that we can come into his presence no matter where we've been in our lives. Because it's not our good deeds or lack of them that brings us in or keeps us away. It's the blood of Jesus that made a way for us to boldly come before the Father. And if you're living by feeling, you're going to be always only doing as good as you feel you're doing. And so I, I, was, I, I was going to preach about that. That's what I thought I was going to preach about. But, but the person that kept standing out to me as I was studying the Gospels was Judas. And I was thinking, man, I, I don't know if I've ever preached a whole message on Judas. I've mentioned him here and there. But, but as I started really studying the life of Judas and reading about Judas and, and thinking about him and praying about what we can learn, because, you know, every bit of the Bible is for us to learn from. You know, some people are from us, for us to learn from their example of how to live, and some people are for us to learn from their example of how not to. But they all can teach us something. And so, um, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 26. Because Judas is a great example to me of what can happen so easily to anybody if we just allow Jesus to be a voice among voices, or we don't actually make him Lord. And so we can, we can know all about Jesus. We can, we can know the Bible. We can quote the Bible. We can finish people's sentences. But if we don't actually know him and all we do is know about him, our life won't be transformed. 
In fact, we could we can play a part. We can act. We can know the right things to say in front of the in front of certain people. Like I, I was really good at that growing up. I, I, if I, if the girl that I was trying to 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 get with was a was was a Christian, well then then I could act like a Christian and. And, and, and if, if I knew that this dude over here thought this way, I could act that way. I could become whoever I needed to become in whatever situation to get whatever it is that I wanted because I was super selfish. And, and I could play the part. I could finish people's sentences. I could quote the Bible. I could raise my hands in worship. And to anybody on the outside looking, if you were to, if you were to judge my life at times, at times if you judged my life, you'd have been like, that dude's going to hell. It would have been super obvious, but then there would be other times where you'd have thought, man, that, that, that dude's following Jesus. And the scary thing is, is that somebody could spend that much time around him with other people who were truly pursuing him as Lord and yet never actually be transformed themselves. And so in, in Matthew chapter uh, 26 and verse 20, Jesus is coming to the end of his time here on earth and, and he's sitting around the table with his disciples It says, now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples. As they were eating, he said, truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. And he answered, he who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The son of man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You've said it yourself. And so, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have this amazing Bible that we can open up and and not just read as as information, God, but we can actually know you. That as we read your word and and, and the words become spirit and they become life to us, God, that that we can be transformed by them, that our hearts would be good ground, God. I pray that that your word would plant itself so deep in our hearts, God, that, that, that your spirit would produce fruit in our lives, God. God, that a world that doesn't know you would taste the fruit of our lives and see that you are good. I just ask tonight as I speak that you would anoint the words that I speak, that they would be from you. That our ears would be open to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is sitting around with his disciples, and and he's having dinner with them, and he looks out at them, and and he says this thing that that was probably kind of shocking to them. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And, and, and the, the 11 that aren't going to betray him, the 11 that actually are following him, the 11 who won't turn their backs on him and, and are going to actually for the rest of their lives continue to pursue Jesus and preach the gospel. Most of them are going to be martyred. They all say, Lord, it's not me, is it? And, and when you read that in your, in, in your Bible, you see it uses different words. And when you read it in the original language, you'll see there's different words there for what the 11 say versus what Judas says. The, the 11 who actually are going to follow Jesus and have committed their lives to him, call him Lord. In other words, they're saying master. But Judas, who's been with them the whole time, think about this. Judas has been there for every single thing that they've done. Like, he was there when Jesus shouted into a grave and a dead man got up and walked out. He was there when Jesus took a little boy's lunch and broke it and, and, and they fed 5,000 people. In fact, Judas was one of the disciples who was a part of it. God was actually using him to touch other people's lives. That's why we have to be careful that we don't yet let God using us shield us from the fact that we haven't actually made him Lord. Because God in his goodness will use anything that he can to reach people. He used Judas 
to feed 5,000. He used Judas to cast out demons. Remember, he gave the disciples, he said he gave them authority and he sent them out two by two and they came back and it says, the disciples, not the 11, all the disciples came back and were excited and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, don't be excited that you have authority over demons. Be excited that your name is written in the book of life. What was he saying? He's saying, listen, don't let the things that I do through you be what excites you. Let the fact that you can actually be with me for eternity be the thing that's exciting to you. So this Judas, who was part of all this, after the 11 say, surely not I, Lord. He says, surely not me, Rabbi. And in that sentence, it reveals that there was something different about Judas from the rest of them. See, to Judas, Jesus was still just a teacher. He was just a voice among voices. If a master says something to me, I don't have an opinion. Like if, if, if someone's my Lord, if someone's my master, then, then if they ask something of me, I don't get to vote. I don't get to decide whether or not, well, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Like the Lord has never asked me for my opinion on his word. He speaks it and it becomes his word. And now my, my opinion of what he said is practically irrelevant. All that's left for me to do is decide, do I actually believe him enough that I'm going to give my life to the thing that he's asking of me? I don't get the right to, to decide, well, I kind of like what Jesus said about this, but I'll be honest, I, I really like what Buddha had to say about this subject. So I'll follow Jesus in this area of my life, but I'll follow Gandhi in this area of my life. And, and, and I'll, I'll let Jesus be the Lord of this area of my life, but I'll be honest, I don't like what he had to say about relationships. I'm not really excited about the fact that he said that I can't sleep with people before I'm married. So, so I, I mean, the part about, you know, loving people and the part about being kind and, and giving water to the poor and, and food to the poor and water to the thirsty, like, uh, that, I like that part of, of Jesus. But, but, but this part of his teaching over here where he said, I have to deny myself and take up my cross and follow him if I want to come after him. I don't know about that. Like, if he's a teacher, I can do that. You guys have teachers here. Like, you can decide which one you like. You can decide which one you actually think is right. And, and you get to have an opinion about that. You can, you know, there's some things that are facts, but then the, the stuff that isn't factual, where it's, where it's more philosophical, you get to decide, do I believe this person or not? And do I like this person or not? You can pick and choose. And, and that's the problem with Judas is that to him, Jesus is still just a teacher. The problem with that is that when a teacher speaks, I receive it differently than when the Lord speaks. Remember when the rich young ruler came to him? He said, good teacher, what must we not do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. What's he saying to him? He's saying, listen, you need to decide. Either I'm just a teacher or I'm God. Because I'm going to say something to you in a moment that you're probably not going to want to hear. And if I'm just a teacher, well, then you can decide. But if I'm God, then all that's left is for you to actually obey. And Judas never let all the time he spent around Jesus. And think about this. Judas had the best teacher. He had the best leader. He had the best community. He had all these things that sometimes we would blame as reasons for why our walk with Jesus isn't maybe where we know it could be or should be. All the excuses that we would use and say, well, you know, my, I, you know, I just have a hard time because of this person. Listen, that person's not Lord. Don't make them Lord. Jesus is Lord. And when you're standing before him on the last day, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to like be scared. Oh, you're going to stand before him one day. But the truth is, you're going to stand before him one day. 
And, and, and when you're looking up into those eyes of love and you understand who he is and you see him as he is, like, you're not going to have a pastor standing there that you can point at and say, well, if it wasn't for him. You're not going to be able to say, well, I, 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 I didn't really have a dad. And, and look, I, I had a good dad growing up for a time. I had no relationship with my dad for a while. You know that some people had an amazing father and some people didn't have a father and some people had a really horrible father. The truth of the matter is, though, we were never supposed to discover God through our earthly father. That's why Jesus said, call no earthly man your father, for you have one who is your father and he is in heaven. That takes away my excuse of saying, well, I just, I have a hard time receiving God's love because I didn't have an earthly father. Your earthly father was probably broken by an earthly father that he had that wasn't capable of loving him. Instead of letting them be the reason we're not okay, they should be the reason we need to be okay because somebody has to show them the love of God because they obviously didn't get it where they came from. Rather than being the villain of your past, maybe you could see them as a victim. And maybe you can understand that they were doing the best that they knew how with what they had been given. And all of a sudden now you have some grace and rather than being the reason you're not okay, they're the reason that you have to be okay because somebody has to be. Otherwise, it's just a vicious cycle of all of us blaming each other and none of us ever looking like Jesus. And so Judas has all this stuff, but, but he never actually let Jesus go from just a good idea or just a good teacher to actually being Lord. And I've seen it so many times that if we're not careful, we can get caught up in all the doing and forget that like the first thing he ever called us to was an intimate relationship with him. You remember when he called the 12? You know the first thing he appointed the 12 to do? Anybody? Not sure question. I just wonder if anyone knows. I didn't know this until not too long ago. I was reading through and it hit me. It says, and of his disciples, he chose 12 and appointed them to be with him and then to go and preach the gospel. Long before he sent them out to do anything, he called them just to be with him. He called them to walk in relationship with him. Sometimes we're so busy wanting to do that we forget about the fact that before he's ever called us to do anything, he's called us to be with him so that we actually know him and have his heart. And then he can entrust us to go out and reproduce what he's placed inside of us and others. And then there's this thing that stood out to me as I was reading this, and this is the part that, that gripped my heart, and I thought, man, that's pretty crazy, because when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, all 11 didn't stand up and say, it's obviously Jesus. They all were like, it's not me, is it? In other words, Judas looked so much like all the other disciples that none of them knew from the outside looking at him that he was the one that was going to betray Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Like, I would think that, that like, if there was 12 of us that for three and a half years lived together and followed Jesus and, and, and were being used by him and were his disciples, I would think that at the end of, 12, at the end of three and a half years, if Jesus said, well, one of you is going to betray me, I would have some idea. I would have seen something that would have made me think, I'm not really sure about I feel like I would be able to go, well, I mean, I wouldn't have thought anybody was going to, but I guess if, 
If one of us is gonna, it's, it's gonna be Judas. He played the part so well that 11 other men who spent every day of their life with him for three and a half years had no idea that he was planning to sell Jesus for a few pieces of silver. And that gripped my heart because I'm like, man, how many people, how many people lead FCA, pastor churches, lead worship, Bible studies? How many people are doing things? Remember Jesus when he was talking about the sheep and the goats? He said, I'm going to look at them and say, I, I, I never knew. They're going to say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal the sick? Jesus doesn't even argue with them and say, no, you didn't. Meaning what? Maybe they did. He says, here's the thing. You might have done all those things, but you never actually knew me. I don't know you. I don't have relationship with you. You've been busy doing, but we don't actually have a relationship. I don't know you. And I, I think about that because that's the story of my life growing up. I, got, I grew up in a Christian home. I was at church every time the doors were open. I started smoking weed when I was nine. I started doing acid and coke and stuff like that by the time I was 15. I was 17, I was moved out of the house, was selling. My best friend shot and killed a guy in a crack deal, arrested, in and out of jail. But yet, because I had grown up in church and because I had Christian parents and because I knew the Bible, I somehow had shielded myself as though I was better than the people that I was hanging around with because something was different about me because of what I knew. And then all of a sudden, one night when I found out that my best friend had got arrested for murder, I just kind of went on a little binge. And I wasn't trying to kill myself, but I didn't, I didn't really care. And I put so much drug. I had a line of coke so big that when I hit it, my heart pounded like that, and I threw up all over the place. And my skin felt like it was crawling off of me. And I, I, I thought I was overdosing and dying because my heart was pounding so hard, like my shirt was shaking. You could hear you could, other people in the room could hear my heart inside my chest pounding so hard, so fast. And I was on all kinds of other stuff. And I was like, man, I don't want to die in this little crack house. And so I went to my parents' house and I broke in the back door. Because I wasn't welcome there because I was a thief and my mom had found drugs and a gun and different things that, you know, I had. And she, she kicked me out. She kicked that out and told me if I choose to go with it, that's my choice. And I did, you know. And so I broke into the house and I snuck into my parents' bathroom because I wanted to die there if I was gonna die. I didn't want to die alone in a little nasty crack house in South Florida. And so I went into a bathroom and, and I looked into the mirror. And I don't know if it was all the drugs I was on. I don't know if the Lord allowed me to see what I was giving my life to. I looked different then than I look now, like way different. I think I weighed like 125 pounds in wet clothes. Bottom six teeth were gold. I had dreadlocks down to my shoulders. I was, I was, 
I just, you know, I was a punk. I, I think back and I'm like, man, you were such an idiot. Not, I mean, not nothing wrong with what I looked like, but the way that I lived my life, I was just so untrustworthy and so shady. And always while I was talking to people, trying to figure out how I could learn something that would allow me to manipulate them to get something from them. And, I, and I, when I looked into the mirror, it looked like the devil himself looking back at me. And in that moment, nothing that I had grown up in, nothing that I had pretended to be, no activities that I had done, no people's opinions about me. Like in that moment, I knew I can't call a bunch of people and say, hey, do you think Roy's a Christian and their answer do anything for me? It was just me standing there realizing that I had given my life to a lie. And I hated what I had become. I hated my life. I hated the way that I lived. I hated the fact that I didn't trust anybody because I, didn't, I knew nobody could trust me. I stole from everybody. Like, everybody was a way to get what I wanted, completely self-consumed. And, and, and standing there all alone, all by myself, None of that stuff mattered. And I realize now how people could have said, Lord, but didn't I do this? Like, Lord, didn't I do that? And he could look at them and say, I'm not even telling you you didn't do that stuff. I'm just telling you, I never knew you. We never actually had a relationship. I could call people and... And, and, and check with them, and they might say, yeah, oh yeah, no, Roy, he's a Christian. I remember him as a little kid in church. He actually knew the Bible better than some of the adults. That doesn't matter. I never actually let him be my Lord. He was just a voice among voices. And I looked into the mirror, and I remember saying, God, if you're real, either change me, or let me die. I can't live like this anymore. I'd rather die than keep living this way. And in an instant, he came. And all of a sudden, I was sober. Like, I hadn't been sober in I don't even know how many years. I mean, you know, it's like some of you, right? You wake up in the morning, the first thing you do, smoke out. Next thing you do, go do whatever you're going to do, scam, make a little bit of money, get whatever drugs you can scam your way into, whether that's Quaaludes, ecstasy, you know, Coke, whatever it is, Special K doesn't matter, pills, whatever, right? And then, you know, the last thing you do before you go to bed is smoke, and that way you can calm down a little bit. I used to carry roofies in my pocket so that I could snort two of them to go to sleep coming down off of stuff, because coming down sucked, but if you took a roofie and just passed out, you didn't even have to experience it. And I was sober, and my heart rate went to normal. Look, I, I either drove all the way here to tell you something that isn't true, or I am co completely telling you the truth. You can decide that. But in an instant, my life was changed. In an instant, my pupils went from the size of quarters to normal size. My skin didn't look like it was crawling around. When I looked in the mirror, I saw me. And I was clear-eyed for the first time in probably nine years. I was sober for the first time in at least that long. And the reality of God came crashing into a bathroom at three in the morning in a little house down in South Florida where I was standing. And I freaked out. I was like, you're real. You're real. 
you're really, no, you're real, you're really, I just kept saying that over and over again, oh, you're real, you're really real, because all my life, he was someone that I knew about, but in that moment, he became God. He became Lord. He became more than just a good idea, more than just a story, more than just a way to get what I want, more than just a way to impress people, more than just a way to, to connect with people or to have a position. He became so much more than that. In that moment, he went from being a God I knew about to a God that I knew and that actually knew me. And I realized you care enough about me to in, at three o'clock in the morning, in the middle of me being on a drug binge for days to come into a bathroom and completely change my life. I mean, literally, like in an instant. I never, ever, listen, I never got high again. I never wanted to. Like, that's how transformed my life was. I'm like, at this point, all I wanted to do was know him. And then I walk out of the bathroom and my mom's standing there. My mom, my, my Lutheran mom, who as far as I know, didn't even believe that God speaks outside of his word, got woke up by the voice of God and he said, your son is home and he's in the bathroom, I'm changing his life. My mom got up to see if she was really hearing him, walked into the hallway, noticed the light on in the bathroom and stood outside the bathroom while I'm in there freaking out. And when I came out, she just grabbed me in her arms and hugged me and started praying with me. I went to sleep for like 24 hours, feeling a peace I'd never felt before in my life. A peace that was completely incomprehensible to me because I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew God and that he knew me and I asked him to forgive me and, and then I started reading my Bible and it was like the Bible came alive to me because I wasn't just reading words on a page I could actually know him through this book and as I started reading I started realizing like man I read for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son and I realized thank God you didn't send Jesus to earth so that you could love me you sent him because you did because you loved me. Like, it's not like you hated me and you were like, well, I guess I'll send Jesus and if he says yes to him, then maybe I'll love him. It says, no, because he loved me, he sent his son. And then I started reading about the cross of Jesus and I started reading about him being crucified and about me having value and worth and I started to realize, like, man, God must really think something of my life lived if he thought it was worth the life of his son sacrificed on a cross. And then I realized, like, well, the cross didn't come to tell me I was a sinner. No, the cross came because I was a sinner, but it came to show me that I was so much more. And he came to redeem my life back from what it had become to what it was meant to be from the very beginning. When he created me for relationship with him before sin came and destroyed everything. But Jesus came and said, I'm making all things new. And all of a sudden, he went from being a religion to being Lord. To being the one that when I hear him speak, I don't get an opinion. And the longer I've followed him, the more I've realized if I have an opinion that's different than what he's saying, I trust him a whole lot more than I trust me. The one who I would lay my life down for every single day because I see what he's done for me. And the last thing about Judas, and I'll close with this, but the last thing about Judas that I realized is as I was reading the story, I was, it says that, that Judas told the Pharisees, the one that I kissed, that's Jesus. And I was thinking, like, why did he have to kiss him? Like, literally, like, it, it, for one, the Pharisees already kind of knew who Jesus was. They'd already tried to push him off a cliff. They'd tried to kill him. They had tried to run him out of town. Uh, he'd flip their tables. They'd try to question him. They tried to trick him. I mean, they kind of knew who Jesus was, but they didn't know exactly where he was. And I think they wanted someone to, to betray him. And so... Because I think it was all a plot of the enemy because I think it was trying to get Jesus to think for himself. But that's a message for a different time. But, but he said, the one that I kiss, 
And I was like thinking, why didn't Jesus, Judas just say, I'll show you who he is. And when they walk up, go, see the one over there with the longer brown hair or, you know, the guy with the white and tan robe or the third one from the left or the one in the middle. Or why couldn't he just point him out? Or why didn't he just walk up and say, this is Jesus? He used a kiss. And it was Judas's idea. The Pharisees didn't say, go kiss the one that's Jesus. Judas said, the one that I kiss, that's the one that's Jesus. And I realized it was because Judas always saw intimacy as a way to get something that he wanted. It wasn't really intimacy. It was manipulation. Intimacy that's for something isn't really intimacy. And while John actually had his head laying on Jesus' chest because he just loved Jesus and wanted to be close to him, the only time Judas showed Jesus affection was when it was going to get him something. And then maybe, maybe you're already born again here, but I just want to warn you, don't ever get into the trap of seeing intimacy with Jesus as unto something other than just intimacy with Jesus. You don't spend time with him so that you can lead worship or so that you can preach or so that your day will go better or so that you'll find the one you're supposed to marry. Listen, Jesus is interested in all those details, but it's seek him first in his righteousness and all those things will be added to you. We don't seek Jesus for those things. We seek him and those things are added to us. Otherwise, he's just our, our way to something. For Judas, he was a way to get paid. And the reason he chose a kiss was because that's all intimacy was to him. And, and for, for any of you girls that are in here, well, for guys too, everybody wants to be loved. Don't let your desire to be loved cause you to do things that violate your conscience because you think if you do, you'll get what you're looking for. And guys, come on, like, don't try to manipulate girls by telling them you love them to get them to do something so that you can get what you want. It makes you a Judas. It makes intimacy not intimacy. It makes intimacy a way to get what I want. So I don't know where everyone here is at. I really have no idea. I haven't even asked Ben, like, hey, are all these kids born again? I, I don't know. So I'm just going to ask a few questions because I don't think we should ever preach the gospel without giving people a chance to respond to it. I do know this. I know that there's a lot of people who were probably shocked when they found out that Judas wasn't actually a committed follower of Jesus. I mean, come on, think about it. Like, that's a lot of work. You leave your family, you leave your home, you leave your job, you leave the security of everything that you have, and for three and a half years, you follow this man Jesus around. You do everything that he asks you to do, and yet, you never actually made him Lord. You were just going through the motions. You were just doing. You were just playing a part. And I remember... My eyes being so open to that, the first time I preached at Clemson's FCA, and I preached and I, I talked about my life and how I had known all about him and not really known him. And, and I asked, I said, listen, if you've never actually made him your Lord, I don't care who you are. I said, you could be in leadership here at FCA, and you need to actually make him Lord and surrender your life to him. And it's not like a, hey, let's pray this prayer and then go back to life the way it was. It's saying like, no, I realize I've never actually surrendered my life to Jesus. I've never made him Lord. I've never repented for my sin and turned from it and made him the Lord of my life and received what he paid for on the cross. And I said, you could be in leadership here at FCA. 
and now actually have made Jesus your Lord. And I gave them an opportunity, and the person who invited me to come and speak stood up and said, I've been going through the motions. So that taught me that you never know where anyone's at, so I'm not going to assume where anyone's at in this room. And so maybe just put your heads down for a second, because sometimes, like, I know it sounds corny, but honestly, sometimes people care more about what you think than about what God sees. And they literally wouldn't do something because they're afraid of what you would think. When Jesus said, there's one of you here that's going to betray me, Judas didn't want any of the other ones to know it was him, so he said the same thing that they were saying, but the problem is, is that his lips betrayed him, just like his lips betrayed Jesus. Because when he opened his mouth, rather than Lord, teacher came out. So if there's anyone here that, I don't have like, I honestly, like, it doesn't matter to me if you've been going to church your whole life or this is the first time you've heard the gospel, but you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never actually surrendered your life to him. You've never repented and received the forgiveness that he paid for on a cross. You don't, you haven't made him Lord. you want to do that tonight you could do that tonight like literally you could step out of death and into life out of darkness and into the kingdom of light tonight in an instant it's as simple as saying with your mouth what you believe in your heart Romans says with the heart we believe with the mouth we confess unto salvation and then it's about stopping pretending if you've been and actually start living Come on, it's so hard to live a double life anyways. You're going to get exhausted at some point. You can't keep it up forever. Why would you want to do it another day? The, God, the you that God created is so much better than the version of you that you've created anyways. If you would just be who he created you to be, you might be shocked at how amazing you are. He didn't ask your help when he created you. He certainly doesn't need your help now to keep creating you into who he called you to be. He just needs your obedience. Your idea of you is so much lower than his idea of you. And it's not just you that's suffering if you're doing that, because the truth is there's people around you that if you would actually live your life yielded to Jesus and led by the Spirit of God, that their lives would be impacted as well. And I mean, you might even be saying things to people, but there's no anointing on it, because anointing is what breaks yokes. Anointing is what sets the captive free. And you can say the right thing and have zero effect in people's lives, because if it doesn't come from being with Jesus, there's no anointing on it. It's just words. It's just information among other information. So if there's anyone here that wants to do that, I know there's students here that would love to pray with you, would love to share with you, would love to get you plugged into a biblical community where you could learn what it is to follow Jesus and discover this amazing life that he thought was worth the life of his son. Listen, every single one of us in this room has the same price tag on our heads, and it's the blood of Jesus. That's how I, every mountain is lowered and every valley is raised up. What's that mean? It means that every single one of us is equal, no matter what the world would say about our worth or our value or our social standing. To, every, to God, every single one of us has the same price tag, and it's the blood of his son, Jesus. He thought that your life lived in Christ was worth the blood and the life of his son shed on a cross. There must be something he knows about you that you don't know. There must be something he believes about you that you don't believe what you know and what you believe lines up with what he knows and what he believes life gets really amazing because you're not fighting against who you were created to be you're living for the way he created you to be from the beginning because before he formed you in your mother's womb he knew you that means before you were thought in your parents mind you were a thought in god's
you're placed here this time, in this place, for a purpose and a reason. You're not an accident. Even if your parents thought you were, God doesn't. So if there's anyone here who needs to do that, just, it's super simple. You just put your hand up right where you're sitting, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to welcome you to the family of God. And the Spirit of God is going to come and bring new life where there was death. If there's anyone here who needs to do that, you just right where you're at. The second thing is this. If you would say that, I'm not even going to ask you to, to stand up or do anything like that, but if you would say that, that you've seen intimacy as a tool unto something, whether it was something you gave or something you took, said tonight, you understand that it's not intimacy. Or maybe you've settled for a form of intimacy that doesn't require anything of you because it's free and it's easy and you can have it whenever you want it. You just have to open up your phone. If there's anybody here that that I would identify with that, then I want to pray for you. If you be bold enough to, to just put your hand up so I know who I'm praying for, that would be awesome. But yeah, come on. I know there's more than that. Yeah. Listen, guys, like, like yeah, like, listen, it, it, all the enemy wants to do is keep condemnation on you. All he wants you to do is choose things that are less than Jesus so that he has a reason to accuse you. Because then it shuts you down and it grays you out. And you don't even feel like you can share Jesus with people because you feel so condemned inside that, that you feel like oh, i got to go a couple weeks without doing anything wrong before I feel like I'm even worthy to start talking about Jesus again. And, and then you stumble again and it's this vicious cycle. Man, I'm telling you, Jesus came for you to be set free. He said, who the sun sets free is free indeed. Not free for a little while. Listen, it, it, there's an exchange that happens when we get born again. He didn't come and act sinful so that we could act righteous. He became sin that knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's in your word. There's an exchange there. It says, when, all, when a man, if any man is in Christ, he's therefore now a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this new life is lived by the Spirit of God inside of us, and it's lived by yielding our life to Jesus one day at a time. It's not about saying, oh, for the rest of my life. It's about saying, today I'm going to follow Jesus. Today I'm going to yield my life to the Spirit of God. And then I'm going to go to sleep. And tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to follow Jesus. And the next day when I wake up, I'm going to follow Jesus. And then pretty soon, I've been following Jesus for so long. I'm so far away from who I used to be that I don't even recognize that guy when I turn around and see him in the mirror. Because transformations happen. Because the goal of the gospel is for our lives to be transformed into the image of Jesus and to become the love of God and the expression of God on the earth to a people that are dying without it. So Father, for every person that raised their hand, I'm praying that they would rethink intimacy, that they would stop seeing it as a tool to get what they want or a way to get a response. God, that you would give them a godly perspective especially where it comes to sexual intimacy, God, that, that they would see the beauty and, and, and the protection and the joy that you placed inside 
having that be between one man and one woman who are joined together in marriage. Father, I pray that, that on this campus, there would be an outpouring of people who understand their worth and their value who don't want to sell cheap. Who wouldn't sell you for 30 pieces of silver or for 20 seconds of pleasure. But would see that, that you're worth so much more than anything they would choose to give themselves to in a moment they would believe in their value, that they would see that nobody pays a high price for something that's worthless and you paid for my life with your son. I must have value to you. I must mean something to you. I must be important to you. And if I can't see my importance and my value and my worth, it's because I don't have your perspective. So God, would you give us your perspective on us? Would you allow us to see why you thought we were worth the blood of Jesus? Why you came, why you sent your son to become a, 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 a infant and, and be placed inside the womb of a woman and to be born and to be beaten and to be hung on a cross and resurrected to new life, God. Why would you go through that trouble if all we were were worthless? Then we must, must be worth something because you paid such a high price to redeem us back. God, for every student sitting in here, I pray that you would give them a revelation of who you are. It goes beyond just being a teacher among teachers, a voice among voices, that you would become Lord in every single way and in every area of their lives. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would encourage them, God. I pray that they would see that they could take this gospel and run with it, that nobody would say, follow me, and then turn and walk a path that's impossible to walk, and you called us to follow you. So that must mean your grace and your spirit are empowering us to walk the life you've called us to walk. Not in our own strength, God, but leaning on you, yoked to Jesus, with our eyes fixed on him, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following you. In Jesus' name, amen.